0: All right. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Jude. Um, if you uh, don't have your Bible, it's okay. We're going to have it on the screen. We just finished up a series where we looked at the Old Testament book of Joshua. If you haven't, wasn't here and you want to go back and look at that, you're welcome to do that as well. But we're going to look for the next three weeks at one of the shortest books in all the Bible. You're going to be able to say, if you're here for the next three weeks, you're going to get to cover extensively an entire book of the Bible because it's one chapter. So I want to encourage you, even my boys and girls, okay, that are here, you can read an entire chapter of the Bible in this week the book of Jude. It's one chapter and we're going to be talking about it over the next three weeks. And it's a very interesting little book. And so we're going to talk about the intro to the book of Jude today. And so I want you to kind of pick up what's happening here. The first two verses from the book of Jude ...or its introduction, and we're going to look at some things today about that. I <clears throat> want you to stand with me real quick. I, I know this, all this sitting and standing is, gets old, but let's do a stand-up in honor of God's Word for the public reading of verses 1 and 2, chapter 1 in the book of Jude. It says, This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ... May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. May God bless the public reading of His Word. You may be seated. Now, as we begin to look over the next few weeks at the book of Jude, I want to encourage you to continue your mindset towards hearing from God from the Scriptures. You see, one of the things that I try to do when I pick different books, there's multiple ways to to speak or to preach or to teach. But one of the things that I'm trying to do is to really keep us focused on the Scriptures and to look at particular passages so that you can learn, as I have learned, to to see what God is saying in the passage and how does that apply to me. See, many pastors, not saying they're wrong for doing this, but choose topical subjects where they kind of give points based off of topics and they go get different Scriptures. And there's nothing wrong with that. Periodically, we have topical sermons. But, but I want us to focus on how do we learn from God what the Scriptures tell us. I believe that this will aid us and assist us throughout our life better on hearing from God in what He wants to speak to us through the Holy Spirit. And so in line of that, we're going to look in a very expositional way what does the Scripture say and what is in God trying to say to us through the book of Jude. But before we jump into the verses, let's have a small discussion about who was Jude. I mean we're looking at a, I mean this guy says this letter is from Jude and so we need to see who he is the first clues that we have are how he describes himself remember this letter is a compilation of other works that are brought into what we now know to be the bible and so let's look at how this person describes himself because we have to admit that in any sense of the word people are going to describe themselves in a manner that's favorable to them in what they want to be remembered I mean you know there's there's many people who may describe me in a different way than I would describe myself You may describe yourself in one way and others may describe you in a different way. But generally speaking, if you have a very serious opportunity to describe yourself, you're going to hopefully accentuate and point out what's the most important thing about yourself, right? And so that's what we see here in Jude. So how does he describe himself? The first thing, he uses um, a phrase called the slave of Jesus Christ. The Greek word there is dolos. And it's very literally a slave, someone who is owned by or in service completely to Jesus Christ. And he uses this phrase of himself, okay? That's significant, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But he doesn't talk about his status in any other way but as a slave of Jesus Christ. And then he uses another description. He says he's the brother of James, Now, we know from our history of the New Testament that he's the brother, the literal sibling of James, who is the head of the Jerusalem church. Now, this also brings it to bear from our history that James was the brother or the half-brother of who? Of Jesus. So, some very interesting things come out here. All right. So, Jude then is what? A half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now, he's writing a letter to a group of people, and he doesn't even feel necessary or in any way proper to do what? To make that claim to the fact that he's Jesus' brother. He is definitely a person who understands the concept of being in a secondary role. I mean, he could have taken a lot of claim to fame, to authority and usurp lots of things, but he doesn't do that. He's definitely a man who understands his position and is a very humble individual. He classifies himself not as somebody of importance, but he's a slave to Jesus Christ. And I I don't want you to miss this, okay? Because this is probably part of the reason that God used him in a miraculous way. Imagine how difficult it would be to come to the revelation in your life that your own half-brother, who you were raised with, Turns out to be God. I mean, this is is very difficult, and we know from other places in the New Testament that Jesus' siblings did not accept him while he was alive. It wasn't until after the resurrection that this all came into focus. And this is why it's so important for us to understand how the resurrection changes things. You know, if it's not for the resurrection, Jesus is just a good teacher. I mean, he's a tremendously influential person. I mean, in every way, he's influenced all of culture. He influenced around the people around him. He was a person of tremendous impact. But when you throw in the resurrection, it changes all of that. Now he's not just a good person. I mean, he's a God person. And so Jude comes to this and he no longer identifies himself as the brother of Jesus. He says what? He's a slave. Literally a servant. His life is bound to the mission of of Jesus Christ, and he lets them know that he is the brother of James. Not necessarily important himself, but just connected to the leader of the Jerusalem church. And it's very interesting that he makes no claim here because I find most people today are doing what? We're always trying to make every claim for importance, to be important. We want people to know that we're something, that we we have some sort of status. Jude here is complete opposite of that. He actually wants to minimize what others might see as his status. And he wants to give status to who? To Jesus. I mean, there's a powerful lesson for all of us as true Christians in there is Christians should, impactful Christians, Christians who are really used by God, tend to minimize their status and uplift the status of jesus christ so that's how he describes himself we do know he is the half brother of jesus however so he's very very familiar with the inner workings of the first century when was he written or when was the book written nobody knows for sure but it's probably between 65 and 80 ad when you start doing the math of how old he would have been even if he was one of the youngest brothers and all that so this is as close to the source as it gets i mean this is one of the very early writings Um, of someone in Christianity and it's important to remember that that Christianity wasn't what we know of it today remember these people were Jewish people and the whole experience of Jesus is really changing that and now they're trying to figure out what that means and so a lot of these letters and all of these writings are different groups of people who believe in Jesus trying to begin thinking about what this means and figure it all out. And so Jude is a very important part of that, and he writes this little one-chapter book. And so let's look at who Jude was written to. And it's very unique, and it's actually called in many um, (coughs) circles, they call it the Catholic letter. Now, not Catholic in the Roman Catholic sense, but see, Catholic means the universal. All right. So for years, the, the church was just the Catholic church. All that really meant was the universal church. Now, these many thousands of years later, we hear Catholic, and we just make the association to Roman Catholic. But for the first two, you know, 1,500 years or whatever, 1,200 years of the church, it really just was the one word for the universal worldwide church. Of course, then you had the split into the Eastern and the Western, and then all that happened, if you want to know all the history. But they call it the Catholic letter because it's one of the few letters that's literally addressed to all of the church. Many of Paul's letters and a number of the other letters that Peter wrote were written to specific groups of people, but this letter, however, was written to all the believers in Jesus. We call them what today? Christians? That word's not used in the letter because they weren't even called Christians at this point. They weren't even called Christians until what? Anybody remember where that was? In Antioch, Miss Linda gets a star. She she got a gold star for her Sunday school history there, okay? So in Antioch was the first place that they were called Christians. So at this point, these are just people, believers in Jesus, all right? But he writes to them, and he describes the believers in Jesus in this introduction in three ways, and that's our lesson for today. Because this description that Jude gives us about believers in Jesus and the scriptures are something for all of us to contemplate. And I think we can learn something from the first description. He says believers in Jesus. We call them Christians are what? He says they're called by God. Okay. So if you're a believer in Jesus, he makes the assumption that you are called by God. The Greek word he uses here is Kalien And it, it really has kind of three meanings. And so I want you to to, to grasp this, and I don't always do this, but sometimes when you look at what the word means in the original language, it really helps you get a sense of what it means for you in today's world. So the word in Greek has three different meanings. The first one is used, and this is throughout you know the, the history of the word, it's like summoned to a task or to a duty. Now when I hear the word summons, you know what I think of? Any of you ever got that letter? You ever got a summons? And the summons is like this legal letter. And normally some of you may have been summoned to something called jury duty, you know, where you have to show up. Or some of you may have been summoned to court where you have to, you know, go and testify or or something in a a sense. But a summons is something that is official. And so, so this word is that you're called, you're summoned to a task, first of all, or a duty. And I think this is very applicable. It's a great word to be used to describe Christians is we've been called to what? To some tasks. We have a duty. Look, there's nothing worse or, than a Christian who doesn't understand their tasks or duty. I mean, I don't even know that you can call yourself a real Christian. You see, if you are called by God, that means you have accepted His grace and His forgiveness. You, you've got some tasks or some duties, some things that you have to do. And that's what it means to be called by God. I mean, if you think it just means, hey, I get a ticket stamped to heaven and I don't have to do anything or I don't have to, you know, have a duty, well, guess what? That's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. And part of the problem in the world today is that the church is full of people who have not accepted their task or their duty, whatever it is. They've completely turned from the biblical mindset of what true Christians are and they've adopted some other philosophy, only for myself, what can I get out of it? Only if it applies to me or if it's good for me. But you realize words like like duty are important. I mean, we have a duty. We have tasks that we have to, to perform. What? Not just for our own good, but for the good of the community. I mean, so many of us participate in things that are really tasks and duties in our service to God. that don't benefit us directly. They benefit what? The community of faith. And this is what Christians do. Not just Christians, by the way. Any decent human being does that. But it is something that Christians are supposed to do, is we have a duty or task. Look, another way it's used is it summoned to a feast or a festival, which I thought was interesting because ultimately, you know what? Being called by God means you're called to something that's important. I mean, there's something exciting and celebratory about being a part of God's kingdom. You know, I was talking with someone this morning, and, you know, it was probably more to me, but the the situation where he said he had a task that he was called to do, and he was just kind of questioning, you know, a little bit about it. And it made me think about it in my own life. Sometimes I'm called to tasks or duties, and I may always look at the negative side of it. I may sometimes think about, oh, man, what's this going to cost me, or what, in time and energy or whatever. But really, look, to be called by God shouldn't be that way. We should what? We should look at this as an opportunity A get-to instead of a got-to. I mean, look, you get to serve God. You get to be a part of what he's doing in whatever it is in your life. And how much does that change our mindset each day if you think you get to be a part of what God's doing and it's something that's exciting? And, of course, the last way it's used about this whole idea of summon to court for our judgment. Look, in the world, when you get one of them summons, some of you who know a little bit about the legal, if you get that summons and you're like, man, I don't want to do that. Does it just go away? Nope. There's going to be some more letters coming. And eventually you might actually end up with, with, with an officer who comes to deliver something. And then if you continue to do that, you might get another summons that contempt. And then ultimately you might get in a bind. Look. We don't send out summonses in that way at the church. But you know what? God says to be called is he summoned you to something very important. And listen, make no mistake about it. I mean, just in your mind, we live where we kind of live in the day-to-day and we don't like to think about it. We certainly don't want to think about death and we don't want to think about all that. But I mean, does a person honestly believe that they can live their life and do whatever they want to? to whoever they want to, however they want to. And do you really think it makes any sense that you're going to get to the end of it and there's not going to be some sort of accounting for what you did? I mean, that, that's, that don't even make sense. Everything in nature, everything in this world's existence is built on the principle of reaping and sowing and consequences. And so to think that one day you're not going to have to stand and give account for the things that you've done. That doesn't even make sense in a logical way. And it certainly doesn't make sense according to the Bible, because the Bible says what? Every man's going to give an account. Every woman's going to give an account for all the things done in the body, which is the importance of Jesus. But see, even believers have to stand, the Bible says, before the judgment seat of Christ. So recognize this. One day, part of your calling is you've got to be called before, and you're going to give an account for all that you've done. Listen, you've heard me say this before. You don't want to be in the group that doesn't have Jesus as their mediator on that day. Whatever that looks like. You want to be Jesus to be with you, but still even then. I mean, how many of us, I think about this in my own life. How many of us want to get to the end? And we want everything that we've done up till now to be the best that we had to offer. I, got, I think I can do a little better. There's a few things that I need to write. There's some things I need to correct before I get there. Now, I'm not worried about losing my salvation because I know that Jesus has forgiven me. But look, when I get there and everything is made known, and all the bull and all the smoke in the mirrors and all the stuff that I may twist or shift or whatever, when that's all revealed, and I mean, I got to give an account for the reality of the way I've thought and the way I've lived and what I've done, I ain't ready yet. I'd like to to get to that day and have righted a few wrongs and corrected a few mistakes. Because what? God's done a lot for me. And I want to get there and I want to have done all I could for him. See, that's what real Christians believe. They want to do all they can for God. Not because they have to. Not because there's somebody throwing a lightning bolt, but no. But because, man... All that God's done for them, they want to do something for him. That's what it means to be called. The second description that we see here given by Jude is not only we called by God. He says real Christians are beloved by God. And boy, you need to hear that today. man. The word there in Greek is agabateos. And and listen, you know how many people self-destruct their life because all they feel is judgment and condemnation? Even if it's on a subconscious level. Look, we're all sinners. I don't care who it is, whatever preacher it is, whatever holy man it is. They, they have made mistakes. They've let people down. And so, so they have problems. But, but the enemy uses that as a way to get you to feel down on yourself. And that's not to say that there are not some things that you need to feel down about. Because we all have those things. But there's a difference between feeling down about what you've done and feeling down about who you are. Because who you are as a Christian is a person beloved by God. That word has some other meanings in Greek that really, I think, help you. Is it's really it's the same word used as favorite. You realize that God thinks of you as a favorite? Now, see, we can't, to us, a favorite is like one. But no, God has the ability to think of you as a favorite. He thinks that you're incredibly favored and special. You're wanted. Significant. Man, you know how many people I meet that don't think of themselves in that way? They feel down on themselves because of things they've done. The things they haven't done. What they've said. What they haven't said. For some laundry list of whatever in their life. Guess what? It's not to justify and say that those things are good because many of them aren't and many of them were bad choices and they have consequences. But at the end of the day, if you're a true Christian... You're beloved by God. And he's not throwing condemnation at you. He's trying to bring you back. He wants you. You're important. You realize there's things in this world that each of us, you, only you, could accomplish in a certain way. I mean, that is significant. I mean, I see people that others look at and they, they, they kind of use the hierarchy of something else. Like the way, whether it's money or whether it's fame, or whether it's influence, or power, or strength. Look, those are not everything. God thinks of us in beloved ways, significant ways, and he sees the value that others may not see. Things that you can do that no one else could do. You know, I think of some of you who are in the educational field, and I think about how how much impact you could have. There's, there's little children that will feel important and special and significant because of the things you do that I'll never get a chance to do. That are feeling all sorts of bad stuff from people at home and from their friends, but you have a chance to be significant in ways that others can't be. There's folks, I think about those in law enforcement. I mean, you have an opportunity that I will never have to, to help people. I think about some of you who are retired and I'm like, you know, I think of the people in my life at times, older mentor type folks who shared something in my life or who ministered to me in a way that no one else could have. I could not do it at this stage in my life. No. Maybe it's a co-worker, certainly a parent or a grandparent. Look, you're significant and you're loved by God and He wants you to help spread that love to the people who are in your life in whatever ways you can. Don't get lost in all the ways that you can't. Focus on the ways that you could share that beloved status with the other people who are in your life. The third description that he gives of believers in Jesus is this. He says they're kept safe in Jesus. Now notice the first two. They're called by God. They're beloved by God. And this third one is they're kept safe in Jesus. The Greek word here is terios. And it also has some kind of meanings that I think are helpful. All right, It says that true believers in Jesus are kept safe. They're guarded. They're protected. They're secured. Now, it's very important to understand that this does not necessarily and oftentimes does not mean physical protection. I mean, we know very quickly after this book that there's tremendous persecution. Paul and many of the other church leaders suffer greatly. Many are martyred because of their faith. And so the protection in this sense, the guarding, is not necessarily a physical thing. It can be. And there are examples whenever God protects people physically. I think of my own life, and I'm like, man, how did that? How did I get protected in this situation? I mean, it, c- it couldn't have been random chance; had to be God. But it's not always like that because ultimately we all are in a world where we're suffering and living by our own choices and people's free will. But at the end of the day, what is protected and guarded is our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is the 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 word in Greek that really builds on a doctrine that's called the perseverance of the saints. And that is the idea that no matter what happens to you, if you're faithful, your eternal security is safe in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus, where do you place your safety, your protection, your security? Is it resting in God or do you base your security and your protection and your safety in the number that shows up on the ledger sheet of your bank account the things that people say about you you know I meet people all the time they place their security in what other people say about them if other people think good of them they feel good of themselves and they think they're good but let some people talk bad about them and then they start to feel insecure look Find your security and your protection in Jesus Christ, in what He's done for you. You know, it's hard to think of this concept and not think of that very famous missionary, Jim Elliott, who was the guy who <clears throat> went on an airplane to the savages down in South America, and when he's down there, his very life is at risk, and they ultimately end up killing him. But as even as they're killing him, he says, you know what, I'm going to die what I believe in and I trust that God is going to keep me safe not physically but he's going to see me through and what ends up happening is decades later his wife goes down and ultimately this whole group of people turn from barbaric type folks and now many of them are Christians because of his sacrifice this was a person who placed his security not in anything of this world you see, it's really hard. I know how hard it is. Because we live in this world. And this world was created by God and all of the things that are given to us, we, we we participate in those and we we work hard and we experience good things and God wants us to have these wonderful blessings that we experience. But see, there's such a danger because it's almost like the siren song that pulled the Greek sailors, because the more of this world that we experience and the more value we place on this world, sometimes we forget that what? This world is not our home. This world, this life that we live, is just a small part of our eternal existence. It's a very important part. It's very meaningful. It's what we have. It's not in any way to diminish the fact that we are to live This life with all that we have. But we have to remember this life isn't just the sum total of these few years that we live here. What we do here ultimately has tremendous impact on what happens in the hereafter. And so I want to encourage those of us who are real Christians... Authentic believers in Jesus who've been baptized into faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To embrace the description that's given to us as real Christians. Go to the next slide, Dave. Three things that were called by God. Number two, that were beloved by God. And number three, that were kept safe in Jesus You know, to talk about a subject like this, we have to be sincere. And we have to be reminded that all humanity, all humanity, not those who are just real Christians, but all humanity in some sense is called by God. The Bible said that none is, God is not willing that any should perish, but that what? That all should come to repentance. So he calls to all. God loves All. Just like a father and a mother love their, all their children. But the third one, not all are kept safe in Jesus. Just like not all got on the boat with Noah. See, to really become a real Christian, you've got to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our expression of that, based on the New Testament, is that what? We admit the fact that we're a sinner. We confess our sins. We're baptized into faith, into Christ. And this is how we make the step to become a real, authentic Christian. And when that happens, we begin to try and live out all of these tasks and these duties and to fulfill the call that he has on our life. And so I want to encourage you as an authentic Christian to embrace the status that you have been given by God. Maybe you have not like me, done all that you would like to have done. Maybe there's some things that you want to redirect, course correct. Do that. Pray for me that I'll do that because this is what we're called to do. And as much as any of that, maybe we should reaffirm our commitment to share with others about our faith so that they could then make sure that they are kept safe in Jesus. Because the rest of Jude is going to talk about some of the dangers and the pitfalls and the difficulties that are out in the world for people to find this authentic faith in Jesus. And so I want to encourage each of us during this natural transition of school and all the things as we approach the fall, maybe we should reaffirm our commitment to share with others of our faith in Jesus Christ, which more than just telling is showing and living and doing. One of the ways that we're going to put this into practice is over the last several months and really even kind of over the last few years, you know, in a church, people often ask, hey, uh, one of our young persons has considering being baptized and actually making that step in their faith journey. And so we've put together um, a um, a packet, a little packet of information that's got some information for parents and it's got some things for our boys and girls and, and anybody really to, to go through. I mean, it could be done as an adult. But so I want to encourage you because I know many of you have asked me and we've talked about this and I know that I shared that David's beginning and we're going to be... Um, kind of squaring away and doing that in the next few weeks but and you know a part of that is helping people come to understand what it means to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and so if you have a a young person who's looking towards making that step and you're uh want to assist them in that get with myself or get with Todd so that we can get you this resource for that if you're watching this online maybe maybe you have a, a young person or maybe yourself you're like You know, I've been thinking about making that step, but I I don't really know how to do it, or I've just been waiting for that little bit of nudge. Maybe this is an opportunity to get this resource, and you can go through that, and you can finally secure that decision in your life to become what the Bible describes as an authentic and real Christian. So as we think about these things today, we ask ourselves, as we should every week, what is God trying to communicate to me through this passage? could be various things. It might be one little thing. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me, and I'm going to attempt to let him speak to me and make the necessary adjustments. But ultimately, we're all in desperate need of the forgiveness offered to us through Jesus. One of the things we do at our church every week that you know about is we have communion, and we're going to have that now because it's really commemorates and reminds us that hey, even when we don't get it right, we have the forgiveness offered to us through Jesus and how significant that is. And I think Bob uh, is leading us in our communion meditation today.